disgraced superstar, semi-pro football, prisoners as underdogs, a tune-up game for the ages. All this can only mean one thing. We're comparing the longest yard films on this episode of Retro vs. Remake. I'm Reggie Parker, and I'm Dan Bulick, and welcome to another episode of Retro, Retro vs. Remake. Alright, today's episode is The Longest Yard. The original Longest Yard was released in 1974. It was starring Burt Reynolds, Eddie Albert, Ed Lauder, James Hampton, and Michael Conrad. It was directed by Robert Aldrich. Screenplay by Terry Keenan Wynn. Music by Frank Duvall. Longest Yard in 2005, starring Adam Sandler, Chris Rock. James Cromwell, William Fitchner, and Burt Reynolds. Directed by Peter Seagal. Screenplay by Sheldon Turner. Music by Teddy Casalucci. Alright, so the original Longest Yard is an original screenplay, but apparently there are a lot of parallels to a 1962 Hungarian film okay. called Two Half Times in Hell. It's based in World War II, and they play soccer. Just a brief synopsis, it's about Nazis versus their Hungarian prisoners. And it might be worth checking out just to see maybe if this movie apparently influenced the original. Yeah. But there are other remakes other than the 2005 film. There is a British remake called Mean Machine that was released in 2001. Now, Guy Ritchie is the producer on this, and it stars Vinnie Jones and Jason Statham and most of the other people from Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. So it might be kind of worth checking that one it out. It might be too. worth checking out for sure. Yeah, if you want to see what... Guy Ritchie, <laughs> his take on this stuff. And there's also one more remake, an Egyptian remake, called Egypt's Captain, also released in 2005. I couldn't tell you anything about this because the Wikipedia page was not in English. Were, were those films based on uh, your classic football, as us Americans would call soccer? Yeah, both of those movies were based on soccer. Yes, not American football at all. Okay, so the, the original football in the remakes of the football movie. Did I like Inception us just now? I think. I... <laughs> no, I got you. I followed you. <laughs> I think I uh, uh, broke everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your first experience with either of these films? Which one did you see first? I believe I saw the remake first. The Longest Yard original wasn't on my radar growing up. I didn't know much about it. But the remake, and we're going to get into this, had a cast that you know definitely made you want to check it out. There was a lot of star power in the film. Like most movies, I don't think I caught it in theaters, but I did catch it on like. TV, HBO, something like that. thought it was a pretty pretty good film at the time. I thought it was really funny. And when did you watch the original? The original, later in life, I think, in high school and college, I took some film study classes, things of that nature. So I heard about the film, you know, starring Burt Reynolds, and thought that, hey, the remake was interesting. Let's go back and sort of revisit this film. And I got a chance to look at it from more of like a, a studying aspect than just like watching it for fun. Well, that'll definitely help this podcast, won't it? Yeah, hey, it just might. <laughs> so I actually never saw either of these films until we decided to do it for this podcast. And of course, I started with the original, and right after, watched the remake. Pop my cherry with both of these in the same day. There you go. Yeah, I know we were talking about doing this film because the Super Bowl was coming up, and we mm-hmm. said, hey, why don't we watch a football movie? Because yeah. it was a football. Yeah, it was football. <laughs> <laughs> I had a bit of a background with it, so I was actually looking forward to you seen the original because there was a lot of elements in that film that stuck with me, and I was interested to hear your take on it. Yeah, and uh, I had heard a lot about these movies, both of them, 
So I was really excited to finally see what everybody's talking about. But before we get into our discussion, I guess we'll go over a brief synopsis of both films. We are introduced to Paul Crew in A Life of Luxury. He's a washed-up football player who got kicked out of the league for shaving points off games. He drunkenly steals his girlfriend's car. She then calls the cops, and they chase Crew, arrest him, and he gets sent to prison. At prison, Crew meets Captain Knauer. We learn the guards are in a semi-pro football team owned by the warden. Knauer tells him not to help the warden out with football or else. Crew follows the orders and turns down the warden's offer to coach. After some troubles in prison, Crew decides that he will help the warden. The warden's team of prison guards needs help getting their season started. After taking Crew's advice, the warden orders Crew to put together a team with the cons, and Crew will be their quarterback. Crew complies as more time will be added to his sentence if he doesn't. Crew befriends Cons, caretaker, a guy who can get anything, and Nate Scarborough, an old football player who can help Crew recruit people. They recruit all sorts of colorful characters. Most Cons are enticed by the opportunity to take out guards on the field. The Cons learn how to fight dirty, get medical records of the guards, and even learn to actually play football. The entire time, another inmate, Unger, is reporting everything to Captain Canaro. He's in trouble at first, but then he's dealt with. Now discovered, Unger is desperate sabotages the cons and kills caretaker on game day the guards start beating cons easily but by the half the cons are pretty much caught up at halftime the warden tells crew that if he doesn't throw the game he will add more years to his sentence by saying that he was involved in caretaker's murder crew complies under the stipulation that the other cons will not get hurt once the warden has his lead the second half of the game starts and crew throws the game the guards are able to get the spread the warden wanted crew's teammates realizes he sold them out the warden isn't true to his word, and the guards still hurt the cons. Crew decides to go back in the game. After winning the trust of his teammates again, the cons gain momentum. And after an intense second half, the cons eventually win the game. The warden is pissed and sees Crew walking towards the exit. He tells Kanaro to shoot Crew, but Crew was just getting the game ball. Crew gives the game ball to the warden and walks away victorious. So they're very similar. I was able to use a lot of the same names. Yeah, almost beat for beat, the remake's the same as the original. Sure. The differences, while there are plenty, they're a lot smaller than the typical remakes that we've already discussed. I think where we see a lot of the differences in the movies are the cast themselves. There are roles that were introduced to in the original that are reprised in this remake. They all sort of have their own flair to them. I think that's where you see the major differences in the films. The best place to start is with Paul Crew. Burt Reynolds' crew versus the Adam Sandler crew. You're getting... Similar characters, but uh, the intros are, are quite different. Yeah, you got Paul Wrecking Crew, which is Burt Reynolds, and then you got Paul Motley Crew, which is Adam Sandler. I noticed that little difference oh, okay. uh, during the final football game. Yeah, I think Wrecking uh, works way better than Motley. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I guess the Motley Crew wasn't around the 70s, sure. so it wasn't as popular of a phrase. The beginning of the original film might be one of the most intense intros to what ultimately mostly a comedy that I've ever seen. Burt Reynolds, Paul Crew, he's in his nice plush house with a lady um, of money, of wealth. He's sort of rehashing old football games and she's bored to death by it. Burt Reynolds' character is drunk and actually goes to the point of, I mean, let's just call it what it is. Within the first three minutes of the film, there's domestic violence. I think from the filmmaker's perspective, this intro to Paul Crew is really smart. Because she calls him, um, she basically calls him a man whore. That he's a washed-up football player. He's reliving the glory days in a drunken stupor. So, you know, this woman, she seems like a rich, older older woman who she's telling Paul that she basically owns him. That he's almost like a trained pet. Quite literally calls him a whore. Which I guess is uh, where he's at right now in his life after football. 
Uh, he gets super pissed, mushes her in the face. I think mush is the, the proper term there. Mush is putting it kindly. <laughs> yeah, mush is putting it kindly. Yeah, he beats the shit out of a woman on film and then, and then proceeds to steal her car. I, I think it was a Maserati. You get the, the hard rock music. He's driving his car recklessly and then uh, I believe she calls the cops on him and a police chase ensues. He doesn't give a shit about human life. I mean, <laughs> there's so many scenes in that car chase of people having to jump out of the way of his of his car. I mean, it goes on for a long time, too. I mean, multiple car crashes, multiple people almost losing their lives. And it ultimately ends with him, you know, sort of wrecking out and getting uh, taken, taken to jail, hauled off to prison. Well, he doesn't just get taken off. First, he rolls the car into the bay, and then he goes to a bar to get drunk more. Ah, damn, you're right. he gets into a fist fight with two cops. Then he goes to jail. You're right. So, the hero of your movie has beaten up a woman, he's driving drunk, he almost killed multiple people on, on the road, wrecks his car, decides, eh, let me go grab a drink, and then beats up, beats up two cops before being hauled off to jail. I, yeah, I think he nailed it. And he gets a measly 18 months for that. I was just like, no way that would happen today. You get at least 10 years for that. That's a good point. And it sort of actually brings us to the remake Paul Crew, who has a much higher sentence. But um, in the remake, you actually get an intro that's more of like a pool party, a luxurious sort of like Hollywood style. Uh, socialites are all hanging out. You get introduced to Lena. In this situation, she has a name. I don't know if the uh, the woman in the original was named in the film, but at least in this <laughs> in this film, the uh, <laughs> the woman that Paul Crew is dating is actually named. She clearly is like a socialite, uh, almost like a real housewife type of character. You get sort of the same picture: Paul Crew reliving the glory days, watching football on TV. Uh, this woman who's pissed off that he's not entertaining her guests at the party. He basically tricks her into getting locked into a closet, steals her car, and you you go on... How would you describe the car chase in the in the newer film? Less endangerment of people's lives. I mean, it's it's a highly televised car chase. Uh, his girlfriend, Lena, who's played by Courtney Cox, um, they're watching it on TV. They're watching this whole thing unfold. He gets pulled over by the cops. They want to bust him for drinking. And he says, nah, you hold this beer, I'm going to drink the rest of it. And then they start to chase him. All these cop cars start chasing him. He stops in the middle of an intersection, and then there's this huge cop car just piling up. Yeah. Like one car crashes after another. And then he looks a helicopter in the eye and breaks up with his girlfriend in the yeah. middle, or at the end of the chase. Yeah, mid-chase, she calls him and says, don't get another scratch on my car. And he's like, how do you know I scratched your car? And he's like, well, it's on TV right now. So you get this big TV car chase. Everyone knows who's in the car, Paul Crew, because he's a football guy. And they actually use that time to give us some exposition as an audience. You know, they actually introduce a concept that comes that happens in both films of a point shaving. But they actually introduce this idea that Paul Crew has already been in trouble with the law in this remake. Honestly, why he does have a higher sentence here is because he's violating his parole. You know, if you're you're on parole and you're drunk driving and, you know, essentially assaulting cops with deadly weapons, <laughs> which a car would be in this scenario. Yeah, he, he gets a little bit more time. So instead of the 18 months that you see in the first film, I think he's in for five years. 
Yeah, he's in for a lot longer. I don't exactly remember, but he's in for years as opposed to just 18 months. Right. And, you know, he didn't fight cops. He didn't beat his woman, which is a smart cut, I would say, for I... the remake, definitely. Getting rid of the domestic abuse was probably on the safer side. I don't think... I can't really see Adam Sandler just beating right. a woman like that. And, and honestly, for, for a modern audience, even though 2005, at this point, we're coming up on 14, 15 years ago, but... Even then, like, domestic violence would not have played well in a major motion picture that's supposed to be a comedy. So that's a really smart cut. The way that Paul Crew in this movie is an asshole gives you more of that Sandler vibe of sort of lovable jerk, almost like a big daddy type of character, which, you know, he's always played well. Whereas the Burt Reynolds Paul Crew is just kind of like a, he's a bruiser, you know, he's a, he's a tough guy that runs around and does whatever the hell he wants. He's a he's a fighter. He he's, he pretty much fought the cops. Where instead Adam Sandler just kept cracking jokes. Yeah. And the one cop was actually enjoying it. He's like, "What? I can't. It's Paul Crew." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny. I I actually liked in the first film that a lot of the exposition for Paul Crew is when he's actually being processed in prison. So when they shave his mustache and they make allusions to his uh, commercials where he shaved his mustache for $10,000 and they make a joke about shaving half of his face and that being like $5,000. Like that that stuff where they introduce his background as he's being processed, I, I thought was a nice way to do it. But the remake does a great job of introducing pretty much everything you need to know right there in the car chase. So you don't need the sort of extra scenes of no... All you need to know about Paul Crew because it's all laid out right there in the intro. Yeah, they get it out right away. You're not wondering about it. Sort of sprinkled in throughout the original. And I think that mustache scene might have just been because Burt Reynolds has like such a famous mustache yeah. that they have to bring attention to, hey, now it's getting shaved. And he probably did get $10,000 in filming that movie just to shave oh, his mustache. So I feel like it almost might be like, this is what's really happening. He's getting $10,000 for this. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he got paid to cut that mustache because that was... A big part of his persona as an actor. It must have been jarring for audience to see a clean cut Burt Reynolds. So I'm sure he was compensated, like you mentioned. I mean, he's been clean cut before. In Deliverance, he didn't have a mustache. Fair enough. It's not like it was unseen, but it's not often today, or especially probably films back then, where you actually see somebody like whose facial hair or hair in general just like on screen getting cut, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that that's one of those scenes where, like, you better have your lighting right. <laughs> You're only getting one take on that one. Yeah, it's kind of like Natalie Portman when she got her head shaved in V for Vendetta sure. or something like that, you know? Sure. They're definitely sort of similar characters, but I think they play to each actor's strength. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Adam Sandler, like you said, he's kind of more a little snarky in a somewhat charming way. Burt Reynolds is just more of like this macho guy, and they both play into that with their versions of Paul Crew. So it's sort of extensions of just who the actor is, really. Absolutely. Sandler is cracking jokes throughout the whole time. A lot of the ways that he interacts with the prisoners initially, whereas Burt Reynolds is sort of like the man on the outside, which, you know, both of them are. They're not, they're superstars. They're pro football players. So there's some animosity with the general population because who does this guy think think he is? But uh, where Burt Reynolds sort of leaned into that leave me alone attitude. Yeah, I got more of a loner vibe from him too. Yeah. Sandler, I mean, the way he sort of, uh, interacts and gets guys on his side or or more fun situations like at one point he's playing ping pong with a guy to recruit him for the football team you know um he's plays sports with the other guys and cracks jokes throughout the film so he comes across as more inviting of a character when it 
comes to interacting with other prisoners. Yeah, I was going to say, he just, in general, even though he's kind of like a loner, but he says he doesn't really have friends, but he is the more fun crew to be around, I feel like. He, like yeah. you said, he's cracking jokes, he's sort of playing games with the other prisoners. You don't see Burn Reynolds' crew doing that as much as Sandler's. Not to put anything yeah. against what Reynolds did, but you could see the differences that, like, oh yeah, this guy's just maybe just a little more fun. Yeah, Burt Reynolds, the first time you see him sort of laughing with the inmates is, like, halfway through a fight scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to fight in order to feel relaxed. Yeah, it's like, alright, we, we've uh, challenged each other as men, and this is actually a fun scenario, so let's let's laugh in the mud. <laughs> as long as I know I'm with another man, yeah. it's, fun. <laughs> it's okay to laugh now. It's like, alright, now that everyone knows I can kick this guy's ass, it's okay for us to be friends. Yeah, there's a um, more of a machismo that, that's in the first film. Yes, machismo, definitely. This kind of starts getting into more of like a breakdown of what happens in the film. But um, Paul's admission of his crime, you know, before going into jail. Like um, the shaving of the points? Yeah, the point shaving. Where in the first film, you know, it's implied that he... He's point shaving and, you know, it, it's addressed a little bit, but like Sandler's Paul crew directly to his his men, to the the football crew. He he admits to wrongdoing that I think serves the movie really well to have this admission of of the point shaving. I think the way it was done in the remake was was smart. So I think as a character seeking redemption, you see a little bit more of a chance at redemption for the Adam Sandler, Paul Crew, than you get with Burt Reynolds. Well, he does admit to cheating, but he doesn't until the very end. Up to that point, he sort of said, we saw the papers, I'm innocent. Yeah. So he was kind of feigning uh, all that. He was saying that he was innocent. It wasn't until the very end when I guess he needed that dramatic moment to with his teammates to win the game. And it does pay off in the yeah. remake, definitely. Definitely, definitely a payoff there. And as opposed to the original where guess he's pretty much guilty I, I don't think he was kind of playing with it i think he is guilty everybody knows he's guilty and yeah. then there's this one moment with caretaker which isn't in the remake where he's like why'd you do it and then he goes into this long backstory about like you know i only the only thing i ever loved was my dad but right. he was blind so he was never he was never able to see me play football and i thought maybe maybe if i can get enough money i can get one big score then i can take care of him the rest of my life and then son of a bitch went up and died on me yeah and then he's like Nah, that's bullshit. <laughs> He's like, why do you think I did it? Well, for the money, of course. Yeah. So there's a, there's a funny moment there. Um, so that's that's absolutely a joke, right? He wasn't doing it for his dad. He just did I, it for the money. I think that the, the film lets you sort of play with that concept. I think ultimately he probably, there was some sort of element with his father, but, uh, you know, it can play as a joke as well. So I think because he's, he's such a tough guy that maybe he's hiding behind the joke, and he's not really expressing his feelings. Where where I think, um, like you mentioned, the payoff of Sandler doing a reveal to the entire team, essentially to the entire inmate population, makes him vulnerable in a way that I don't think you're going to get from a Burt Reynolds take on a, on a character, you know? Uh, the yeah. vulnerability doesn't really come from emotions as opposed to actually sort of conceding ground by, like, not being tough for a moment. He's That's as close as you're going to get to, like, human emotion from from a tough guy like that. Whereas Adam Sandler is like, hey, look, you know, I, I did it. I made a mistake. And I think it serves his his version of crew 
very well um, for not only the audience, but also in the context of the film, the people that he he's trying to work with, the people that have inspired him during his prison run. So it's a it's subtle, subtle difference, but I think it plays well to both their characters, the way we sort of reveal point shading. Yeah, maybe if Burt Reynolds was fighting uh, Caretaker at the time, he might have revealed yeah. what really happened. Yeah. <laughs> I guess not. Perhaps. In a way, that sets the framework for the entire film, and both characters in in their intros give you the tone of the movie right away. So, like, Burt Reynolds, he'll do anything. He'll, he'll punch a woman, he'll steal a car, he'll fight a cop. He'll do anything, and really for not much reason. It doesn't take much to set that guy off. Whereas Sandler, you know, he's has made a mistake, you know, which we ultimately find out at the end. But really, he's just a guy who clearly liked football. Uh, his time has passed, and he has his black stain on his career. And sort of his response to it is to sort of joke around and play coy with it. By doing so, it sets his comedic tone that permeates throughout the film. Both of those characters do a great job of framing their particular movies. Even though they hit a lot of the same beats, they are different films just from a character perspective. I think ultimately what makes these two movies so different are the characters in the film, you know, if you wanted to talk about the uh, the rest of the cast. So let's talk about some of the other cast members then. The Warden, I think, is, is a good place to start with these characters because there there is a slight different motivation to the wardens in the two films and you know what their ultimate end game is yeah let's start there in the original the warden's played by eddie albert and in the remake the warden is played by james cromwell so we do have slightly different takes on the warden here in the remake he has political gains that he's trying to get or political aspirations and he sort of mentions a governorship right? yeah, yeah he, he's Sort of known, um, they introduced the concept that he's known as a reformer in the state. Like, he's, he has some interesting takes on um, how to run his prison, and it's made him sort of a public figure. And he's trying to parlay that that into ultimately running for, like you said, the office of governor in the state. So, for him, he he's looking at his interaction with the prison, prisoners and, you know, ultimately, like, these football teams as a way to jumpstart his career in politics and is the original warden is he just doing it because he has his football team and really yeah. just wants to get it going or something yeah the, his motivation wasn't his motivation wasn't as clear to it, me. it's not as clear the original warden is, you know he has his football team and i think really more so for fun he, he wants to be able to show off that he has a good semi-pro football team oh yeah um, we should also talk about just quickly before we get too deep into that like where they're located like the remake it takes place in texas you know texas big football state right everywhere so Absolutely. it makes sense that the warden would have his own football team even though he's a warden of a prison but right. yeah football makes sense the, re- makes the original sense. i guess takes place in florida it seems like florida i mean you're definitely either in florida or somewhere a bit swampy <laughs> i'm not really getting a lot of accents so you know i'm not placing anyone in like a louisiana type area so florida Seems to make sense. And Florida's a big football state, too, you know, depending on where you are. So it would make sense that there would be a semi-pro football team at a prison, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> you know? Seen it a million times. Many times. Uh, Jail in Florida? 
Florida, why not join a football team while you're there? <laughs> I guess location, you know, it doesn't make as much sense for someone to be really trying to be a governor um, based off of that experience. But I think what we're seeing in the original film is that this guy, one, most of the football team seems to be really just to show off that he has a football team and he wants to sort of show Paul Crew that, hey, my guys could run with the big boys, professional level teams, which isn't really true, but, you know, this guy has that delusion. But really what's interesting about him in the football is that a lot of this has to do with power structure at the prison. He, he talks a lot about um, control and sort of using different tactics to keep the prison population under control. Um, yeah, he has this one scene with Canaro where he's just yeah. walking through the, the prison or outdoors in the prison. He's like, you know why nobody's attacking us right now? It's this kind of a funny moment because we got 15 guns aimed at them. Yeah. No, <laughs> because I have power, I have control, and I'm going to use this football game to show everybody. Right. So for him, it is definitely about this power, having control yeah. over it. In both situations, the Wardens are on a power trip. There is a scene in the original where, like, the Warden's buddy towards the end of the game is like, how's your power theory uh, now? You know, like, he he talks about that concept pretty openly there that, you know, you have all these theories about how to control people. He does, in that situation, have a lot to lose in his football game because if the inmates feel like they have some agency over themselves, some control of what's going on in the situation, it couldn't completely undermine his ability to do his job. So there's, there's a big risk there for him whereas in the new film the risk really is okay you could get embarrassed by this like loudmouth football guy and lose any chance of ever holding like a high political office the motivation is different but like you said that first film is a little more ambiguous and it seems to be really just based on how much control i can take from other people you know not so much the outside world itself which one do you think do you think any warden was nastier or more evil in both movies, Unger, he's another inmate. He's mm. sort of a spy for Canau. Right. And in both films, he's easily discovered. In the original, crew goes to the warden and says, I need you to do something because Unger just keeps reporting. And then the warden says, okay, I'll take care of it. Right. But in the remake, the warden just goes, you'll have my answer tomorrow. And then he him or he has all the guards just like hose down the field so it's completely muddy to ruin their practice. That's kind of a... A dirtbag move right there by the... Yeah, it, it's weird because, they're, honestly, they're, they're fairly even um, when it comes to how, I guess, evil they can be. It seems like the warden in the original, for the most part, except for sort of the, the double cross at the game, for the most part, sort of employs like an arbitrary um, honor system when it comes to football. He pretty much keeps most of his promises when it comes to letting them them train and letting them get ready for the football game. Whereas there's a little bit more shiftiness in the remake. Like you said, he hoses down the field. Some of the tactics that he employs, uh, he really doesn't seem to really care about the football itself, but more about what the football can do for, for him. Whereas in the original film, this guy is obsessed with football. I mean, like, that's one of his character traits. He has a lot of honor around that, but then he turns the switch at the end where he's quite ready to kill, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It almost came out of nowhere for me in the original. I was like, whoa, this guy just wants blood now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think in the remake, the warden is sort of shifty throughout. So, you know, when he wants to shoot crew at the end, it doesn't, it's not as shocking of a, you know, 
character motivation. It doesn't, you know, it's not that shocking. But also the way he does it is a little more reasonable. I mean, if you're going to shoot a guy, you got to do it reasonably, right? You know, he he's basically he he sees this guy walking off, and you know, he's ultimately, I guess, trying to protect the public. It doesn't seem like he really just wants to murder him, but he is afraid that this guy is going to escape. Trying to shoot a guy who's going to be in jail for five years over a guy that's going to be there for 18 months. I think there's a little bit of weight there as well. Like, super overkill. You know, if a guy is, if a guy is probably going to be out of jail within the next, like, six months, trying to murder him in cold blood because you lost a football game is, is crazy. So I, I'm going to lean towards the original guy being more evil in, in the aggregate, but sort of throughout the film, I would say most of the film, I get a more evil vibe from the remake Warden. That um, makes sense to me. Yeah. Actually, no, you just remind me of a Canauer moment. So we've been talking a lot about not just the Warden, but his captain, Canauer, portrayed by two different actors. In the original, he was portrayed by Ed Lauder. In the remake, he's portrayed by William Fitchner. Now, these two characters are pretty much the same. They're pretty much just tormenting Paul Crew as much as possible, and their motivations are pretty much the same in both movies, too. So I don't know if there's too much of a difference there with those guys. There is one major difference that I definitely noticed, and it's at the end of the movie, after the football game, yeah. Mm -hmm. After the football game, before uh, the almost uh, attempted murder. Right. In the remake, Canaro goes up to Paul Crew. They almost have, like, an end of karate kid. You're all right, LaRusso. They have that kind of moment. Yeah, I did notice that. And Canaro actually goes up to him and goes, hey, don't worry, I know you had nothing to do with Caretaker's death. So it seems like there's not going to get any more years added to Paul Crew's sentence. That doesn't happen in the original. You don't get a scene between those two. So I left the original movie assuming that Burt Reynolds is going to get an extra 25 years while Adam Sandler is just going to do the three to five, whatever his original sentence was. So a little yeah. more of a friendly Knauer in the remake than in the original. Yeah. Knauer in both films, I mean, pretty much they uh, live, and, live and die by a stick. I mean, they're they're basically just beating, beating this guy up. <laughs> in both films, Paul Crew just gets knocked around by Knauer quite a bit. To the point that one of Paul Crew's stipulations in both films is for the warden to call off Knauer because Knauer is making his stay like a living hell. You know, he's throwing him in the hot box. He's beating him up. It would be pretty difficult to run training for a football game if you had a guy like that on your back. Both of them, like you mentioned, have that similar um, character beats where like that's pretty much their motivation. They don't like Paul Crew because he's like this hotshot who actually, because of his, his football experience sort of undermines Kanawa's role as, you know, a leader of the football teams. So, yeah, he's the captain, and I feel like he probably feels threatened that maybe Krug will be captain because he's actually played in professional football, you know? Right, right. And, you know, just based on both Kanawa's interactions with prisoners, you know, they look at prisoners as uh, obviously like less than. So here comes someone from this population that he doesn't ultimately respect that's going to undermine his authority. I will say this, they, the casting on the remake, pretty good. They, they have very similar looks, both your Canowers in, in uh, both films. Similar looks, similar motivation, but I think you're right. That, that one minor difference at the end, actually one, it lets you know that your character is going to be fine, that he's not going to get extra time because Canowers is going to back him up. Whereas in the first film, you sort of just get that, all right, walk away, freeze frame, situation like let's not worry about any loose ends because it's all good now but yeah uh, i think that that's a smart addition to have that specter of are you going to do more time gone 
kind of lets the audience feel relief about how the film ended. Yeah, it gives it more of a feel-good feeling at the end. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Ed Lauder, who played the original Knauer, is he does cameo in the remake. Mm. He's at the golf course telling uh, Adam Sandler's crew that, hey, you had sex with my wife before I met her. <laughs> that was pretty, it's pretty funny. That was it's fun. really cool to have him there. Yeah. See him in a lighter mood than he was in the original. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's for sure. I'm a fan of what both actors did. And I will say that for, for the remake, I've got to respect his ability to sort of embody the spirit of a character that was previously played by another another person. I think he did a good job and hit a lot of the same beats. It's different, but it just it feels the same. It feels the same. So I think he did a great job. I think we'll be saying that a lot about this movie. It's different, but it feels the same. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say the, the biggest departure for me... Um, in terms of new characters, I feel like the caretaker, caretaker character, <laughs> that's a mouthful, but the caretakers in both films are very different. I mean, they do ultimately the same thing. They're able to get contraband and they're able to help recruit people for the football teams. But, uh, so who's, who's the caretaker in the original film? The caretaker in the original was played by James Hampton and... Caretaker in the remake, of course, played by Chris Rock. Caretaker in the original is a source of a lot of uh, a lot of the jokes. He's really good at guiding the Paul Crew character through sort of the prison system, introducing them to different characters, and get ultimately like without Caretaker, there's no way this football game happens or, or goes well. So the- yeah, I, I sort of equivocated him, even though the movie came out way after the original. It's like kind of like Red in Shawshank Redemption. He can get anything you want. So that's sort of what I thought of him as Yeah, in both movies. Totally agree. Where, obviously, it's Chris Rock in the remake, so there's just... They really use him wisely and have him doing a lot of jokes. Yeah. Again, kind of going back to having Paul Crew, Adam Sandler, and Burt Reynolds just be themselves. It's kind of like... He's just like Chris Rock be Chris Rock. And yeah. you got a comedy? Great. Yeah. Because <laughs> Chris Rock can do that for you. So... Good idea to cast Chris Rock in your movie right there. Absolutely. Chris Rock does the line that, you know, the original actor does where he says, you know, if you would have uh, robbed the bank, (laughs) beat up your mom, stuff like that, you know, that would have been, we could have forgiven that as prisoners, but like point shaving, that, that's messed up. You know, Chris Rock basically does sort of the same speech, but he adds like, you could have smoked crack. (laughs) You could (laughs) have, you know, there's a, a funnier on brand comedy that comes from uh, Chris Rock's Caretaker, it does help a lot because the tone of the newer film is lighter throughout. It helps move along a lot of comedy to have a comedian such as Chris Rock playing a major character. Yeah, he's definitely funnier in the remake. <laughs> because, I mean, it's Chris Rock, right? You can't go wrong there with the comedy. But yeah, like you said, it's pretty much hitting the same notes, but he's doing it with his own flavor, with his own tone. And uh, you got a lot more jokes, which is good. You need that for your comedy. Yeah. Jokes per minute. <laughs> <laughs> JPMs. <laughs> yeah. Do, now here, do we want to get into the death scene? How we died? Yeah, we can talk about the death yeah. scenes really quickly. Yeah. So, both movies, caretakers taken out by this Unger character. Um, Unger, who we learned, is this pyromaniac guy. So, caretaker gets a very violent, fiery death in both. So, in both films... Unger goes to Crew's room. In the original, 
Uh, I'll do this the best way I can. He goes, unscrews the light bulb, and injects a liquid into it. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure what liquid it is, but okay. So then Caretaker goes in, turns his light on, and then just everything explodes. Yeah. And he's immediately on fire. Caretaker shuts the the prison doors or something. What do they call them? The, the cell. Yeah, the cell <laughs> door. Cell, cell doors so nobody can get to him. In the remake, which is an interesting choice, Unger doesn't try to kill Caretaker. He actually sabotages Paul Crew's radio. And uh, we get a little tease of Chris Rock, his caretaker, turning on the light bulb. And you think, oh, that's how he's going to die, because that's how he died in the original. Right. But nope, he lives there. And then it's when he turns the radio on, and when that explodes. And uh, he dies a fiery death as the cell door is also shut. Yeah. You, you have these two scenes, which are really powerful. They're turning points in the films. You have this character that we've all come to get to know and, and and like as an audience. And I would say, honestly, for me, more so Chris Rock, because of how much comedy he's doing, because of how much personality he has, he has that star power. So he's featured quite a bit in the in the remake. I, I Personally, I was nervous when he goes to <laughs> flick the light on because, like, I just watched the original. I was like, oh, damn. Like, how are they going to address this? You know, he goes to flick the light and that doesn't kill him. So I'm like, oh, maybe they don't. Because I hadn't watched the movie in a while. I was like, oh, maybe they don't take him out here. Maybe there's like a different way they approach this. And nope, exploding radio. But uh, I knew he was going to die in the remake when they were having kind of the heart to heart moment. He's like, here's a picture of my mom. I want to show you. I was like, oh, he's going to die. Yeah. In this remake. There's no way he's making it out. That's fair. I mean, in both films, it, it you know, it's a graphic death. Um, but in that original. Just the way they film that is, is insane, you know. Um, you actually hear the guy screaming. It's it's a prolonged scene. You can hear the inmates tr- like frantically trying to get someone to bring a key to open the door. So the way that um, he's he's killed in the original film, it just there's so much weight to it because it's like wow, that is that is dark. It's crazy that somebody would do that to another person. You still get the death in the new film, and you know they they shoot in a different way that that's just you can kind of keep a PG thirteen rating if you wanted to. I think you still have this moment where you care about the caretaker character, but that first film, the way they take him out is, is it's heavy. Oh. I'll give that to you. It was definitely brutal in the first film, um, but the the effect of him being on fire, which great, it's a great practical effect, mm-hmm. but it definitely it almost sort of just kind of came out of nowhere because like first the light just like kind of sparks and then immediately he's on fire so for me that was just like i know because it's an older movie but it, it did seem like a little like the, like a jump cut yeah you, you could tell like it took me out of the moment just a little bit i can see that it's like oh wow now he's just on, on fire immediately as opposed to the remake where you know you, you can do special effects for that explosion sure so it look it looks more real i suppose but um, so I was just a little distracted in the original because of the the jump cut from a little spark to a man me immediately on fire. No, that make that makes sense. Yeah, I mean it worked. I'm sure for the '70s, but that was one of the things. I'm like, oh, the remake's definitely gonna make this look better, and it did. They they definitely did. They definitely did. You're talking about a modern audience, and you're talking about a comedy. It, there's no need for a overly graphic death of a popular. American comedian, so I think, you know, you know, it's like, all right, well, damn, they blew, they blew Chris Rock up. You know, we are comparing these characters. I'm giving the edge to Chris Rock. You know, just he, we're more connected to him 
by the time of his death. So yeah, you're right. Even though one death comes across as more graphic, there's more gravity to the death in the new film because Chris Rock, for me at least, more liked by the audience. Yeah, he's more prominent. He's more likable character. He's constantly cracking jokes, right? He's the he's sort of the light-hearted guy in this heavy, dark place. So sure. you want to cling to those types of characters. Absolutely. So his death, yeah, experiencing that death, that's definitely a heavy loss because there goes a lot of the levity in the sure. film. Sure, sure. Um, I will give it to the original um, in one part, though. Like, in the beginning, before they're really friends, uh, where Burt Reynolds is really tired from all the, the make work. Sure. And then he's kind of, like, stumbling to try to talk to the guards. And then Caretaker does kind of make fun of him. <laughs> he's like, twinkle, twinkle, little superstar, or something like that. Yeah. I forget exactly what he says. But I just thought that was, oh, it's interesting. I thought this was a nice guy. But he's not exactly entirely nice, but, you know, it just gives him a little bit of an edge in the original. Yeah. But I still like Chris Rock's portrayal. Of course, because, you know, he's, he's a lot funnier. Yeah, <laughs> That's for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's Chris Rock, right? <laughs> Can't go wrong there. It would probably take us all all day to go character by character um, going forward, because there are so many different characters in the film. Maybe we could just talk about one more character. Okay. And I'm talking about Nate Scarborough, ah, the shit. old-timer who helps uh, a crew assemble the team. So let's talk about that. In the original... <laughs> Nate Scarborough is played by Michael Conrad. And in the remake, Nate Scarborough is played by Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds. Uh, look at that. Burt Reynolds yeah. in the original and the remake. Yeah. Sweet. Very nice touch. It was, yeah. It was, I, that immediately is just like, of course. Of course you cast Burt Reynolds as the older guy helping out the younger guy. That just makes perfect sense. Brilliant casting right there. Absolutely. Scarborough in both films, in the, in the original just how much he's able to help Burt Reynolds whip his team into shape. It's great. I don't know. I don't have major notes for the character. I think he comes across as, um, he comes across well. I'm actually going to stop talking. Do you have something you want to say about Nate Scarborough? Cause I don't have a lot on the original. Uh, maybe you do. On the original Nate Scarborough. I mean, he's, yeah, he's sort of just like the mentor guy kind of just helps crew out a lot. He doesn't really do too much he doesn't have too much comedy he does play at the end of the game that's really where the i noticed more of a difference between the two nate scarboroughs sure. is uh how they're used in the football game at the end in the original after crew decides that he wants to win the game uh nate scarborough is the first teammate to actually help crew out and he gets the first touchdown to sort of get the mean machine back their momentum sure but in the remake Nate Scarborough, played by Burt Reynolds, he's the one that gets the final touchdown. And he's able to sort of almost get the same touchdown. He gets the touchdown almost in the same style that he got it in the original, that last touchdown. He kind of just dives in and takes a shot crossing uh, you know, crossing the end zone line, getting that final touchdown for the team. So um, he was a pretty decent character in the original. Yeah. The fact that he's played by Burt Reynolds in the remake just, you know raises his puts it over the top points yeah exactly it's, it's just so cool to see Burt Reynolds <laughs> in this movie it's uh it's a sign to you know it's like hey yeah this I'm fine with this remake you guys should be too I'm in it <laughs> it's okay <laughs> yeah. almost uh, like a hint hint nudge nudge to us you know absolutely but yeah Sc- Scarborough in both films plays sort of a moral compass at the end you know this this idea of Hey, all these people are putting a lot of trust in you and you're betraying their trust. 
you know, there's there's this moment where Paul Crew can fall back in these old habits of, you know, not caring about others. He's willing to, which, <laughs> you know, in both films, point shaving is worse than most other crimes to the inmates. You know, you know, these are scandals, thieves, murderers, but when you betray the, the national sport, <laughs> that's um, that's the biggest crime. And you know, at this moment where where Paul Crew could just kind of throw his hands up and try to save himself, Scarborough is one of the big reasons why he he actually makes a turn and realizes that what he's doing is wrong. Both Scarboroughs do a good job of it, but I think the Burt Reynolds push to get Paul Crew to get back in the game and to take care of the team, I think was done a little bit better in the, in the remake. Glad. I mean, honestly, just glad to have him in the movie. Cause I think it, it really elevated, like you mentioned in the film. Yeah, definitely. That's one of the things I appreciate about the remake. It, it knows the source material. It loves the source material. So it wants to be as true to it as much as possible. It wants to pay respect to it as much as possible. And I can't see paying more respect than having the lead of the original in it, in your remake. I think that's a huge way to pay respect to the yeah. original. Absolutely. You got one more? We could do characters all day, but I think one of the last sort of major characters that I think we should um, discuss in the original film, and this is one of the times where we actually change names a little bit and sort of change the character around. In the original film, it's Granville. Granville is played by Harry Caesar. And in the newer film, sort of his equivalent would be Nelly. <laughs> Nelly, oh. <laughs> Nelly playing Megget. So, not really sure why there was a name change there, but okay, I'll take it. But I feel this, like Granville is almost like grandfather, maybe? Because he was an older yeah, he, he's an older guy in the re- original. Very, he's Nelly in the remake. Very true, yes. He's an older guy in the original. Because both movies do play with uh, race relations, which comes, comes into play when you're in a prison population. Race matters... Uh, even more than it does in, in general society when you're in jail because people tend to stick with people that look like them, people of similar backgrounds. You know, it's a, addressed in both movies that, hey, you know, if you're going to have a football team, you're going to probably want to get people of different backgrounds, <laughs> to be politically correct, of different backgrounds, to help you with your football team. So Granville is the first black guy. Granville is the first black guy to sort of cross the line and play football with Paul Crew. And Nelly in his his role is Megget and same thing where uh for Adam Sandler they play basketball and Nelly's like, hey, if he's willing to take shots like that playing basketball, I'll play football with this guy. And both the characters it's implied that they're pretty pretty good at football because Unger ends up telling the prison guards that in the original of course it's Granville and in the remake, it's Megan, but he tells the prison guards, hey, this guy's got talent, he's athletic. So they target him. And you get almost the same beat-for-beat beat scene in both films where the prison guards come up to Nelly in the remake, of course, and Granville in the original, um, comes up to him in, in the library and pushes their books down and really tries to embarrass him in front of in front of other people to try to pick a fight, try to you know jeopardize their role in the football game. I think in both films, it's a powerful scene. It really plays off of race relations. Um, you know, there's racial slurs that are thrown at the character. And it really tests the patience and the control of the characters in the film. And it's a turning point for the other 
uh, black inmates because they see one of their own being disrespected and it brings the rest of the uh, the black characters into the film to participate in the football game. For sure, Nelly comes across as more <laughs> athletic to me when I'm watching the films. So, you know, it, I, I feel a little more, I feel it's a little more realistic that he could inspire the crew to really come together and play because he's already clearly pretty good at football. Whereas Granville, you know, they tell me he's pretty good. I'm not really seeing the physical attributes that I would expect, but okay. But um, I, I think that that library scene is important in both films and really one of the few times where the re- remake goes pretty hard in the paint when it comes to um, when it comes to race because like uh, Steve Austin throws out quite the quite the slur. <laughs> I mean, there's they they throw out the n word uh, in both yeah. films. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I, I do like the scene. I think it actually, for me, I think it played a little bit stronger in the original. I think so as uh, well. I think the older Granville, because when they start picking on him, they both kind of just in both films they're just knocking books off and making him pick it up, and then he sort of his response is he kind of goes into this almost uh, like former slave kind of voice, yeah. like "Oh no, don't worry, boss." Like yeah. you know, he's playing a really dumb. And uh, just to not provoke these sure. cops, because obviously you don't want to get in a fight with these cops. Sure. Uh, especially if you're a black guy, you know? Yeah, of <laughs> course. Racial relationships there. And uh, so it, for him to go, like, oh, don't worry about it, Mr. Like, he's doing that voice. And then when Nelly did it, I didn't buy it, it as much. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Nobody, nobody talks like that. Like, maybe right. in the 70s, like, you can maybe see, like, an older guy kind of talking like that, because he's been sure. around, like, that kind of weird racism where. Uh, white people expected you to talk like that, yeah. but it's almost like coming from Nelly. It almost seems like almost like mocking. So I it didn't buy it as right. much as I bought Granville yeah. uh, doing that kind of voice. And I really thought they were going to mess up Granville. <laughs> I was just like so worried. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, Granville. You know, because it's an older film, being filmed in the South has more weight in uh, in that context. You know that the race relations were not nearly as um, progressive as they were in the North. So it would make sense that you hit this sort of survival instinct, like you mentioned, of of sort of just going along to get along. You know, he goes into this voice of, oh, oh, shucks, you know, I don't want any trouble, basically. You're right. Like, it does feel more more ominous in the first film. Like, you really could see somebody get messed up here because there really wouldn't be much recourse for uh, for Granville in that scenario, especially because he's black, you know, it's like taking a prisoner aspect of it and escalating to to quite an extent. And you're right; to me, it played a lot a lot better in that first film in the way that the other prisoners seeing Granville being disrespected like that brought them into the game and you know participating in the football game. I think you're right; it played well in the first movie, whereas and maybe this is why they there's a name change and things along those lines. Whereas Nelly gives me more of like the athlete, you know, you definitely want this guy on your team vibe less. So, okay. Like he's being disrespected in a racial way, but you're right. It, do, it doesn't hold the same way. The scenes aren't, they're similar, but they're not equivalent. Yeah. Yeah. I could think of maybe two reasons why the original uh, plays a little bit heavier. Mm-hmm. One is, um, there's sort of separation of the races yes. in the original. Um, when they're doing make work in the beginning, uh, you see all the white convicts, and then in a separate truck, uh, all the black convicts come out. So yeah. it's I don't I didn't really understand why they had to bring them out in separate cars, but 
that's what they did apparently. Yeah. So there's already you already get the sense of like the separation of the races in the original. Right. And well, well it's in it's a big sorry. deal. It's a big deal that Burt Reynolds is uh chained to a black inmate to do work like that. That really apparently wasn't common. So it was it was almost like in a in a way to disrespect Burt Reynolds by chaining him to an African American inmate for work. So yeah, race clearly in that film is way heavier. Yeah. And the other reason I think is because in the remake, as much as I love Chris Rock, because now you already you already have like a black guy kind of with Paul Crew. So Nelly joining two isn't as impactful as when Granville's like the lone black guy. Right. Who's with uh, Paul Crew. So there's a lot more weight with his decision to join Paul as opposed in the remake where, okay, there's already another black guy, so it's, it's okay. It's not yeah. as, we're not as separated here sure. as um, certainly the original. Yeah. So, yeah, he, Granville plays more of a role of bridging that gap than I, Nelly does. I agree. Sure. Yeah, and even like Chris Rock kind of throws out the line that he was like, even though he's black, he's like the last guy to get picked and like, if you did pick him, you're like, oh, damn, I, I didn't get an athletic black guy. And it's like, sure, that that line tries to explain why he's there and the rest of the black inmates aren't. But it, you're right. it doesn't. It's not the same on any real level yeah. because the, the race tension isn't there the way it is in the first film. Yeah. But it makes sense in the remake because you do want Chris Rock with the hero. You want, you want that comedy. You yeah. want that humor. So you don't want to keeps Chris Rock separated. So I get why they did it. No, no. It's absolutely something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it really, uh, it really is powerful to make caretaker such a major, um, character, such a major actor in, in the remake. So yeah, Chris Rock, I believe was used perfectly in the new film. It, you know, may have taken away from some of the weight of the Granville slash Megat, portion of it but that doesn't break the movie in in any way it just sort of takes away some of the racial tension which honestly you're not gonna be able to recreate anyway because of time and setting uh, you and also i mean you know your pg-13 movie doesn't need to get too heavy no nah, the, the race and everything so maybe we could talk about that mm-hmm. um the ratings the original movie rated r okay the remake rated pg-13 sure do you, did the remake lose anything by not being rated r what do you think I'm going to say no, because what you're dealing with here is a comedy. Rated R back then, there's really not a lot of reasons that I can think of for the first film to be rated R other than clearly punching a woman, Um, uh, you know, and I guess some of the language, you know, and I guess of the violent murder, of course. But like, if you take out punching a lady, you know, if you take out... The violent murder, because there's other ways to sort of portray that. There's not really a real reason it needs to be rated R. I think they just dropped a lot more F-bombs yeah. in the original. That's it. That's the only reason, really, I think, pretty, that it's rated R. Pretty much. So Broke his fucking neck, which is a funny yeah, joke. Is funny. <laughs> I really like that joke, and I missed it. I knew they couldn't do that in the PG-13 movie. Yeah. Broke his fucking neck. Yeah, that, that was. Uh, I believe they switched the line that he shit his pants. Yeah, shit his pants. Funny, but not as funny as I think I broke his fucking neck. He broke his fucking neck. Yeah. Hilarious. It's good yeah. stuff. Yeah, you know, the the language I'm sure for a prison environment is a little more authentic with all the F bombs and things yeah. things along those lines, but it 
it doesn't fundamentally change the film. No, it definitely doesn't take away that they're not cursing. Um, it's still, you're following the same beats. You still got some pretty good jokes in there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not really any topic, I guess, that they avoided because of a PG-13 rating. So for me, the PG-13 rating worked fine. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and honestly, in one of the few scenes where there's a sexuality involved, they kind of get more in-depth in in the remake. Um, oh my God. In the in the first film, the secretary. I guess we, we got to talk about this, man. The secretary yeah, okay. in the first film was uh, Bernadette Peters, plays the warden secretary. I don't know the new film yet. Oh, that's, uh, I believe it's Cloris Leachman plays the Cloris Leachman? Yeah. Wow. She's uh, been in a few Adam Sandler movies, so it's not surprising that you'd see her here again. Absolutely. So, you know, there there's a scene where to get the game footage, in both films, the Paul Crew character has to hook up with the secretary in the warden's office. In the first film, Bernadette Peters' hair is absolutely insane. To the point where Burt Reynolds makes a joke about, have you ever, like, found spiders? And she's got, like, this crazy updo. They go to the office uh, for the game footage. And the price to get the game footage is 15 minutes with the uh, the stud athlete. Which fits the Burt Reynolds character more. Because it's implied from the beginning of the film that he's essentially a man whore. So for him to, I guess, be used by a woman in that way... Makes sense. You know, he, he's been in that territory before. The newer film, Adam Sandler, is just played the much more comedic effect. You know, like, they they somehow get footage of him hooking up with Cloris Leachman, and there's a lot of shenanigans that are that are going on in, uh, in that scene. Yeah, because she's, like, loved him when he was younger and posed in his underwear for these uh, ads, so she kind of has him posing again in his underwear, and spanking him and doing yeah. all these demeaning things that you don't want anybody, anybody to know that he did, or especially you don't want anybody to see, yeah. and all the other inmates see it, and it's this huge hilarious scene that, that pays off pretty well, and it was, I was pretty, uh, I was hoping that they would do something to up what the original did, because I didn't think that the original was that funny, it's like, oh, he's going to have sex with her, who he kind of hit on anyway, right. so I guess, again, goes back to that machismo, right. Burt Reynolds going to have sex with the, the woman, right. the only woman in this movie, and uh, you got Adam Sandler, I was kind of hoping, though, that Cloris Leachman would kind of do the same thing, and like, he'd have to have sex with her, yeah. like, oh, tell me they're going there with this, Absolutely. but, well, but I think what they did was still pretty funny. I, I think the setup is there more in the the first film because at first, you know, he's kind of cracking jokes about her, but then he, <laughs> speaking of rated R, he asks her if she's ever done it standing up, which I'm sure at the time <laughs> was probably a pretty, uh, pretty raunchy line. And you see her kind of like sort of, I guess, envisioning like what it'd be like to hook up with, with Burt Reynolds, Paul crew in that, that moment. So when they ultimately do come back and that scene happens, it makes a lot of sense. Whereas like this in the remake, I felt like they were they were matching the beat. Like I know she mentioned the underwear model stuff, but like um, it seemed like they were just it was there to sort of match the fact that it happened in the first film. But they used that opportunity. It was like, all right, well we should hit on this sort of big moment in the first film, but let let's use it to make more jokes, which I think is what the movie does really well. Um, that they say, all right, well we got to do this anyway, but it can be fun. Yeah, it can be funnier. And she did also, she was looking through an old 
90s magazine, an old 90s People <laughs> magazine, where she actually saw an ad of him in his underwear just kind of oogling him with her eyes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they did okay. it well enough in the remake. I, I, it didn't take me by surprise. Yeah. I knew they had to do the joke again. Like I said, I was hoping that he would actually have to have sex with her. Yeah. Uh, didn't quite do that. Hey, I, I thought that would have been funny because it was like he has sex with her, and then he's like, "What? What? I had to do it." And then like I thought maybe he would see her later, and they kind yeah. of like wink at each other, like, "Hey, yeah. <laughs> let's do that again." That would have been really funny if he wanted more. Yeah. Oh uh, man, but that's just my version of the movie. It's still funny. It's <laughs> a, what they do in the remake. It's funny because it really does play off of just the jokey nature of the film. Like he's just posing, and they're like romping around and. You know, like, perhaps they had sex. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But, uh, you know, I think you still get the general idea out of it. And it it makes for a fun moment in the film. Yeah. And I also can't see Adam Sandler doing the Burt Reynolds thing where, oh, yeah, I'm just going to bang this hot receptionist now. It doesn't work with Adam Sandler. Right. But what they did with Adam Sandler definitely works. That was a smart choice. you You had to do that over again. Honestly, the big thing that you had to do over was football. They had to play <laughs> some some football in this movie. What what do you think, man? Um, between the two films, it's the seventies, right? <laughs> so uh, watching that old seventies football, I'm sure that that was a pretty entertaining way to watch it back in the day. Yeah. But when I was watching the original, I was like, they're going to do this better in the remake, right? That's what yeah. I just kept thinking in my head <laughs> because while it's sure, I'm sure it's some good football action they had in that original movie um, compared to what we've seen today cinematically it, yeah. it definitely doesn't hold a candle even what we see in regular football games today it's yeah. not as impressive yeah i think the remake definitely <laughs> did much better with the uh, filming of the football scenes sure. than the original definitely i'll say i i was impressed in the first film with how it was shot in the sense of uh you see a lot of continuous action a lot of it looks like um realistic obviously the level of athletics was not the same at that time so, you know, by default, this this newer film was going to was going to wow you because football has evolved quite a bit over 30 years. But I, w- I was actually impressed with the fact that you don't see a lot of uh, a lot of jump cuts. There's a lot of like continuous action. They play around a lot with the split screen stuff in the first movie. And I thought that was a kind of really smart and fun way to shoot that because, you know, you're getting this football action, which, as you mentioned, uh, wasn't wasn't necessarily the greatest, but um, but then you're seeing crowd reaction shots, you're seeing cheerleaders, you're seeing the warden's face, and it's a nice way of, all right, we're not just watching football in this part. This is still a film, and the way the characters are experiencing this still matters. And I think the split screen was a, was a very good way to shoot the football action in the movie. So oh, yeah, I love the split screen. That was a really cool addition. It came out of nowhere. They didn't do any split screen earlier in the film, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the football game, you get all this split screen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things happening in every frame, so your eyes are just engaged. You're just engaged visually. Absolutely. And it's really exciting to watch, and they did it in the remake. I was happy to see that. I was really thrilled. The football in the new film is so much more believable, and I think it's because when you look at that cast, many of them played football at a high level. Terry Crews, I believe, was an NFL player for a while. Uh, Bill Goldberg, I think he played for the Vikings for for a minute. So, like, there were guys, I mean, obviously there were other football legends in the film as well. But, like, there, there were guys who, like, played professional football. And even though it was past their time, sort of like a Paul Crew, they're not, like, currently football players. But, like, they know they know how to move. They know how to, to play football. So, you know, that played well 
made it much more believable that these guys could win a football game. Well, there are also <clears throat> football players in the original, but I think it goes back to what you said. The game has evolved a lot since then, so it's just more impressive mm-hmm. what uh, football players are doing in the 2005 film as opposed to the 1974 one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I Actually, for from a film perspective, and I know it's just part of the screenplay, I like what they did with the scoring there. You know, um, as silly as it sounds, being down a certain amount of touchdowns, versus you know whether it's three touchdowns or more like it, it's actually believable that you could come back 21 points they they play really well with the margins of the spread because both films attack this idea of the warden wants a 21 point spread which i think when you're talking about a halftime in a football game very easily you can get back into a football game from that scoring so it's a small detail but i like that they um like that they explored that in the remake Remind me this happens, but uh, in the first film, there's a nice little touch where they do a drop kick. Yeah, there's definitely a drop kick in the original. I've never seen that. I'm not really familiar with that. I just got into football recently, so So, I'm not really familiar with it. And they definitely don't do that in the remake. They kind of do this weird play where they're all lined up on one side and they're just blocking for a runner or something like that. Yeah, that's kind of like their take on it. So, I, I used to play rugby and uh drop kicks come into play a lot more football has some some aspects of rugby that kind of kept over throughout the years because football really evolved out of it but uh there have been drop kicks in football games fairly recently i think there was actually one within the past year year or so but doug flutie famously did a drop kick in a football game and it's a legitimate play it's still in the rule book you can drop the football on its nose and then kick it through the uprights for three points, just like you're kicking a field goal. You almost never... So why not not just kick a field goal? I'm confused. That's a great point. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's that's why they do it in the remake. Well, why not just kick a field goal? Why do you have to do this dramatic dropkick thing? Like I said, I don't really know about that dropkick rule, so... That's actually uh, actually a good point. It was like, oh, look, cool, a little bit of football history, something that's still in the rule books. And, and like when Canal was like, what the hell was that? And he was like, you know, it's a dropkick for three points. You're right. Why are they doing that? Because you could just. Yeah, a field goal, the, a field goal's a lot easier it, and you don't have to rush. You know, you just, why not just do a field goal regularly? I don't know. No, no, no. That, I'm fine with it. I just, I was just a little confused by it. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was fun, dude. <laughs> I liked it. No, no. No, but you're right. Um, It, it is. It is a thing that whenever it does happen, because it, it does happen from time to time, uh, whenever it happens, everyone, all the commentators like to say, huh, did you see that? That's a, <laughs> still in the rule books. You can still do that. But you're right. There, Why would you do it? Because there's a lot of other things <laughs> that you can do that are more effective. I definitely like the football in the remake. It seemed a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. I think part of that was just, um, there was no music, I don't think, or there was right. barely any music if there was any in the original but you definitely had music in the remake. You had good old ACDC in there, yeah. not once, but twice. Yeah. Put in Thunderstruck by ACDC. And I couldn't believe it because it was like, Varsity Blues put Thunderstruck in their movie, their football game. So it's like, come on, come yeah. on, remake. <laughs> There's so many ACDC songs. You had to pick the same one that was used in Varsity Blues. I mean, I'm fine with it because yeah. I like ACDC, but... They're great for was, football yeah. montages. Back in Black, <laughs> like that's a great yeah. football song. The other song they used in the movie was, uh, oh, it was uh, If You Want Blood, which makes sense. But yeah, they had more fun songs in the remake. They had the dramatic 
orchestral score going on for like those desperate moments when they needed like certain plays. The drama played a lot better. The action played a lot better. Everything about that football game, I feel, was pretty much done better in the remake. I can certainly see that that using the score to their advantage was was huge. Even um, leading up to the football game, when the warden does hose down the field and they're all playing like that muddy, sloppy football game. There's music in the background. They use um, they use some slow motion in there, and it, and you get this sort of emotional camaraderie that's portrayed very well with the music beats that are happening in the background. And you're right, just like in the action of the game itself at the end, that it plays well and it helps it helps the audience really get into it. Throughout the film, going back to the music, I think the remake handles the music a lot better. It's able to convey the emotions, the drama a lot clearer. Maybe in the 70s, they just didn't have it down right with the music, just being able to sort of elevate what's happening. But it's definitely done a lot in the remake, and it's it's easier to follow, I guess, for our modern cinematic sensibility. It just makes more sense to us, whereas like the original, there will be a lot of just quiet moments, and you just sort of have to take the scene for what it is. Um, But the remake uses the music, which can be considered lazy. But I, I like it. I, <laughs> I like having the music kind of, this is a dramatic moment. I, think, I, I don't mind those. I, I like think it worked. my hand held sometimes. Yeah. No, I agree. Because I think it worked. Because like a lot of times when you're watching movies that have sports in them, it's it's hard to get into something that like has no real weight or reality. Like when you're watching professional sports, you want to know who's going to win because ultimately it matters in the end who's going to the Super Bowl or something like that. But in a movie, there's a predetermined outcome, and they have to really engage you to make you want to watch, um, essentially, fake football. That first film, the length of the game itself is wild. Yeah, wild. it's like it's over 40 minutes. It's like I could, I could just go watch football right now. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the Sandler remake, I think... Tops that football scene is about 17 minutes, you know, all said and done, and that's all that is all we need. <laughs> you, did, yeah. did you score some points? Did they score some points? And then you had a dramatic speech, uh, you know, you slow motion that big play at the end, and done. Like, we do not need to see 40 minutes of football yeah. in, in a major motion picture, it just it's that's not worth it. But no, you're right, smart editing. It just feels longer too, because like I said, there's no music playing, so you're just you're literally kind of watching football for a while. Yeah, <laughs> like you said, it's this fake football you have to watch, so it's not even as entertaining as if you're watching real football. So it does drag on a bit uh, at the end there. I will say um, though that because this episode was inspired by the most recent football, both <laughs> both of these films were better than the Super Bowl this year. Oh, come on. It was a defensive game. If you like defense, you had a good time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know about that, Dan. It's, <laughs> you know... I get what you're saying, though, yeah. Well, you know, the the new the new uh, football <laughs> rules are geared towards offense so much that it's, it's actually almost impossible for a game to have been that low of a score. But, so you know... Scoring Super Bowl ever. So. It, it is what it is. <laughs> hey, another year of the Patriots, huh? Yep. Hey, why? You know, next time you're thinking about watching the Super Bowl, just watch the longest yard because it's going to be <laughs> a much more fun time. It's crazy too because 
the there's a lot more football in the original. But oddly enough, they don't actually show you every touchdown the Mean Machine the the, the convicts make. Right. Which I thought was a weird thing. I thought they would, especially when they were doing their comeback, that they would actually show you yeah. every touchdown. But they don't. Uh, one touchdown happens where there's a conversation between Gransville and uh, Nate in the hospital. Like, for suddenly the score's up by seven as soon as we're out of the hospital. I was like, whoa. Yeah. They didn't actually they didn't show it, which I thought was weird. Um, in the remake, they definitely show you every single touchdown uh, just to keep it entertaining. For sure. I, it's weird that they would show you the non-entertaining, the no points part in the yeah. original. But when the points happen, they're going to show you a different scene. So yeah. I definitely appreciate uh, what they did in the remake there. <laughs> and, and I know we're talking about like physically watching the game itself, but I think in both films, what the the games are doing for the inmates like people are milling about and they're watching it in the stands some people are listening to it on the radio it, i think in both films it's re- really nice to see how the inmates are being affected by you know the game going well for their their comrades C- kind of a crazy beat that in the remake this is on espn2 <laughs> yeah there was like a brief mention like the warden and his confidant had a little conversation about like, yeah, this is going to be possibly televised on ESPN too. So yeah. that could really help me in my political career. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, now that now it's televised. Yeah. I like that. Which I guess, I guess they make that reference so that they could have Chris Berman do the, uh, the commentary. But at the same time, it's kind of weird. It's like, I don't think that that would ever be shown on ESPN too, but okay. <laughs> you never know. Oh yeah, going to the, the crowd reaction. Yeah. In the original, the crowd almost immediately is on the sides of the the convicts, the Mean Machine team. Sure. They're cheering for them. They're kind of booing the guards. Sure. But in the remake, the crowd's booing the convicts, and it's not till the end of the game when they kind of turn around and they start rooting for these underdogs, these convicts, which made more sense to me. It yeah. didn't make sense that they were immediately cheering the convicts. Yeah, in that's the original. that's true. It it does make more sense in that scenario. And honestly, I think the the remake does a good job of... The convicts are playing dirty as hell at the beginning of the game. I mean, like, they, they're they not outclassed on that first touchdown that the guy runs back like a 90-yard 90 90 um, kickoff. They're just beating people up <laughs> and not caring at all about who has the ball or, or, you know, really about the rules of the game. So, it... It would make sense that an audience watching that at first wouldn't be behind them and that they would have to sort of gain that sort of trust back or gain that respect from the audience. So, yeah, it it makes a lot more sense to do it that way as opposed to just, oh, the prisoners are playing. We like them, which almost would never, never happen. Um, Yeah, it also makes sense that in the remake that the convicts are just out for blood in the beginning. Like, the guards are able to score two touches at... Yeah, they're able to score two touchdowns right away because all the convicts are concerned about is just taking out a specific guard, which is why they signed up too, right? That was right. their motivation. I could take out this guard. So it made sense that they weren't playing football right away. They were just out for blood. In the remake, I feel like they weren't out for blood as much. They were more about the football. As, as, they weren't so much about getting these vendettas. Yeah. So it made sense that Adam Sandler's crew had to be like, come on, guys, I, you get a broken bones heel. Like, we got to hurt these guys. We want to hurt them. We got to win this game. So right. I like that from the remake. Yeah. That they went there. I liked it at the end of the film, like, <laughs> I think it's Chris Berman, but he basically sort of just breaks down, like, kind of the absurdity of, of the plot of the film. 
a bunch of comics just took out like um, the the uh, protectors of our justice system, and it's just like to like comedic effect. I wish I had the exact quote, but like it, it's just so funny that it's like yeah, this, this is actually ridiculous. Like a lot of those guys are in jail for some pretty heinous stuff, and you're right. By the end, the crowd is is totally with them, but there there's like a moment where there's self realization in the new film of just like almost how absurd that concept concept is. You know, at the end of the day, I think people like underdogs and sometimes they're like sticking into the system and that's ultimately what like The Longest Yard is sort of about. Yep. We could talk about some of the jokes that were thrown in the remake that aren't in the original. Sure. We could talk about the, I guess, the gay inmates, the cheerleaders. Sure. How they're used a lot more in the remake as opposed to the original. Yeah, yeah the original... Sort of, it's actually surprising, you know, like, they're at the game, and really the first, first that you see of sort of gay inmates or, or the cheerleaders at the game itself. But, you know, it, it's sort of, sort of an aside, like, okay, they're there, um, they're cheerleading, there's a segment where they're sort of dressed up, sort of like Gladys Knight. Um, yeah, like it's a mo- not just the cheerleaders, there's like this whole sort of Supremes trio yeah, kind of singing. Which, which I thought was... Which I thought was fun. It's it's subtle, you know. It, it's there, but you know they don't really dive that deep into it. Um, <clears throat> whereas like the remake, it's it's brought up several times throughout the film. Tracy Morgan plays a, a convict that um, who's gay in the film, and there's a lot of jokes that happen around that. I'm trying to think of a few. If you if you had any, yeah. There's there's a. They're played for comedic effect, uh, mostly at uh, Brucey, played by Nicholas Turturro, I believe, uh, for his expense. Kind of, uh, he's this sort of he's really small inmate, but he's really like angry all the time, trying to be a tough guy. And right. then I guess the joke just keeps coming back around that like, well, you keep having sex with me. This is Tracy Morgan talking. He's like, what? What? That's a dude. I want to have sex with a dude. I love women. Yeah. And it just keeps playing over and over again, which you can get a little tiresome, but I think it's pretty funny here. Yeah. Um, that he like loves uh, just having sex with <laughs> Tracy Morgan right. throughout the movie. And uh... That's also shown later when Adam Sandler is shown to do all his weird poses with Cloris Leishman. He's like, "Oh, I got something to show you guys," and then he actually shows video of Brucey and Tracy Morgan like kind of hooking up too. Right. So uh, there's a lot of funny right. stuff. <laughs> there's a scene where uh, Tracy Morgan introduces the concept that like, hey, they could cheerlead for the game. And they spell out uh, D I C K. He's like, yeah, right before they spell the K, Adam Sandler's like, all yeah, right, that, thank you. That's, that's <laughs> enough. Um, yeah. And it, Nick Totoro's character at the end of the game, he's like, please, please, I want to win this game. I'll, I'll be faithful to my wife. I'll stop having sex with black men. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, uh, you know, I don't know if you necessarily would get the same jokes in a more modern movie, like 2005, was long enough ago where a lot of that played. And, and honestly, it didn't age out of the movie too poorly. Like, it, it wasn't really at any point malicious from from what no, I could tell. It wasn't tell. really homophobic or anything. Yeah, it was it just... played as, like, you know, like he just has, like, having sex with black men. He's so denying it. It's, like, just going up to it, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, so and, and I mean, even in a way, it's like, yeah, well, like... the. That's part of the culture, you know. Brucey is hooking up with Tracy Morgan throughout the throughout the game. You know that 
they have a um a place in the overall like system with everyone. So it wasn't it wasn't like over the top homophobic. You know, maybe some of it wouldn't be as like politically correct today, but I don't think that it was it was necessarily um harsh, you know, yeah. watching it back. Yeah, I don't think it's would be problematic or I'm sure there's people that would find offense with it today, but I I, I think most of the people would be okay with it. I don't think it's too bad. I think it mostly came from a place of just pure comedy, not necessarily at the expense of uh, of those characters. Yeah, if anything, it's at the expense of the guy who's just denying it. Right. No, absolutely. Which, which I mean, honestly, when you think about it, it's just a smart, smart choice for the screenplay and the uh, director because you, you, again, you're hitting a lot of these older beats, and they're actually fleshing out these characters that are just kind of in the original, but like it's never really explained where they came from or yeah. you know where the outfits came from they just they're just there and i i think in the original like the joke was just that they were there but in the in the remake they're like okay yes they they are here and they're cheerleading but like let's flesh these characters out a little bit like what how did this even happen you know yeah blank in the original you could almost miss them yeah i, it, I definitely didn't like see them immediately like, oh there's a bunch of dudes i was like after a few takes i was like wait those are actually dudes yeah <laughs> and then, then i was like oh wow I didn't realize that the original would go there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely underplayed in the original. And then brought out for a little bit of levity and jokes in the original. Uh, the remake, I mean. Absolutely. There's one thing I didn't like in the remake. Okay. Rob Schneider. Oh, my God. The Rob Schneider. Oh, uh, And just playing all the old hits. Oh, you can yeah. do it. I'm like, it, it was so unnecessary. It's like, I know him and Sandler are boys, and, like, that's how Rob Snyder keeps getting work, more or less, but it, it just, it actually took me out of the film. I was like, this is this is ridiculous. Yes, there's a lot of jokes happening throughout the film, but it's still grounded in the struggles of these characters, and then now we just have this, like, hey, this guy's making jokes over here. Like, it didn't make a lot of sense, to be honest. Yeah, he's hitting the same, you can do a joke, which we've yeah. seen him do in pretty much every Adam Sandler movie since Waterboy. And then he does, like, there's, let's all take a shower together. And so it's like, really? Come on, man. Yeah. Now that, that's the gay joke that's offensive. Yeah, right? that, <laughs> you're right. That is that is the one gay joke that landed so flat. Even in the movie, which is crazy that he even does it. Because, like, the immediate reaction to the audience in the movie is just like, uh, okay, like, dude, like, what was that? And he just kind of backtracks from it. So, I don't know. Rob Schneider, I could, I could go... A hundred more years of my life without ever seeing Rob Schneider again, um, unless it's Surf Ninjas. <laughs> okay, I'll take him on um, Surf Ninjas too. Absolutely. <laughs> or a Surf Ninjas remake. Oh, please do a Surf Ninjas remake so we can oh, review man. that. Yeah, that would be amazing. There's like two remakes I'm really hoping to happen, like Surf Ninjas two, and I hope they actually do the Space Jam because I think we could do a. Yeah. I think we could do a good job with Space Jam since we are talking yeah. about sports movies right now. Um, just going back to the cheerleaders again, uh-huh. uh, in the remake, I do like there's this one funny beat where like one guy in the crowd, he's really getting into like the cheerleaders, and then his wife is like, what are you doing? <laughs> 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 yeah, I was cracking up. Yeah. So yeah, again, I just think it's good old fun in the remake with the cheerleaders. Absolutely, and it, th- there's more interactions with the guards too. Um, I think I saw in, saw in one of your notes that uh, the guards are on steroids at one point, and Sandler and crew are like switching out their uh, their steroids, like estrogen and stuff like that. So there, there's jokes that happen there that aren't necessarily available in the first 
first film. Yeah, it's just, you know, adding a sort of a little joke that kind of plays out through the end of the film that was a nice little touch there. I appreciated it. It, it was a... Sometimes I didn't really laugh at it, but the other times I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. So it's appreciated. You know, you got to add something to give it a little bit of a new flavor. So I thought it worked out pretty well. The yeah. estrogen. That guy, that guy was huge, too. So just seeing this huge guy being all sensitive because of all the estrogen he's been taking worked. Absolutely. And, and it, it adds this element of the inmates sort of directly messing with the guards before the game. You know, that they, they were trying to getting advantage the same way the prison guards were, and they were looking to sort of disrupt that side of the the equation too, which I think fleshed out parts of the movie as well. Even if sometimes the jokes don't necessarily always need to land, but it shows you that these guys were really trying to uh, to win this game. Whereas like you, you get that they're trying to win the game in the first movie, but there's less opportunities for them to sort of... Uh, mess with the guards and I think that's that's a fun beat in a new film that actually sort of furthers furthers the plot and just going back to motivations of uh, the inmates like in the original they immediately kind of want to fight dirty during the football game they're already doing the brass knuckles and everything sure. in the remake they kind of handle it a little bit differently they make the warden strike first by having the warden sort of soak their field up and then at, it's at that point that they're like alright they're going to fight dirty we're going to fight dirty right. so it kind of gives the cons a little more empathy sympathy that they're uh, doing these dirty things putting the estrogen instead of steroids so that made sense to do that in the remake yeah yeah that's a that's a good call where whereas in the first film this is their chance to get back at the guards which is true in both films but like because they have this opportunity they immediately go towards dirty tactics which I, i think maybe some of it is actually the way football was played at the time that there was a lot of that sort of gamesmanship happening even in the professional leagues where you know these guys are putting plaster on their um on the tape on their hands like basically making hard objects to hit people with like you said the brass knuckles which come back in the remake but like you said the warden strikes first and i think that the screenwriter and the director are keeping the audience in mind with that that like these guys aren't just dirty football players they're defending themselves in that in that scenario in the remake whereas originally they were like <laughs> they're practicing like karate and trying to like <laughs> do like little spine breaker stuff on people <laughs> yeah that, that was a little that took me out of it a little bit yeah I suppose. it's like they're supposed to be these super hardened criminals and then they're doing kind of silly things like karate yeah um speaking of which i guess i thought the inmates in the original were just a little scarier tougher yeah. than they were in the uh, remake i think part of that goes because i don't know any of those actors so i, I was able from for me i was able to believe the more that they could be inmates as opposed to the remake where it's like oh there's a celebrity there's a celebrity there's another one right i think right. uh the anonymity of the original cast uh played to the strength of them being more intimidating sure sure and then you have like a like a terry cruz in in the remake Who's a big guy, you know, he is an imposing figure, but he plays so so many uh, comedic roles that, you know, he, yeah, he's a big guy, but he's just, like, cracking a lot of jokes, so it takes away from the scary side of him. Whereas, like, in the, <laughs> in the original, you got this guy who, like, basically murdered five people who's, like, doing Tai Chi in the yard, who's, like, ready to, like, kill at a moment's notice, and 
yeah, you're right. That guy is scary. He's not trying to be funny <laughs> in the film, you know? Yeah, even even like the big scary characters in the remake, they're playing like ping pong at at points, you know? Like the uh, the scare factor is, is dialed way down, even though arguably a lot of the people in the film are actually scarier people <laughs> to run into on a football field. Yeah, I, I get. I think that kind of goes back to what you're saying. Like when you saw the portrayal of each crew character, like Burt Reynolds gives you the vibe of the movie. Adam Sandler gives you the vibe, and Adam Sandler gave you the vibe. But this movie's a little bit lighter, mm-hmm. a little more fun. So we're not gonna. It's not gonna be as intense or threatening as like the original. Yeah, got that lighter PG-13 rating as opposed to the harder R. So it's a yeah. It definitely plays a little lighter, a little more fun overall. Yeah, agreed. I guess the last thing I really want to talk about is really minimal. It's just the sound effects. Okay. <laughs> just, yeah. Um, just mostly going back to the football action. Just when everybody got hit, it just—I guess they didn't perfect sound effects back then because it definitely didn't match exactly the action that was happening. So, and then I guess that's expected of these older movies. Like when somebody gets hit, it's just going to be this same kind of abrupt that doesn't quite match the action sound effect which was definitely improved right <laughs> in the remake and uh yeah <laughs> I, was, I was just really hoping that like oh god i hope they don't use the same sound effects well you know they're a little rough it shows you it shows you um the advantage that a lot of times some of these remakes are going to have um just as film and really in this case the sport that they're portraying modernizes it gives you know, the modern director's chances to make improvements in those areas that a lot of times, um, that a lot of times audience, audience members and theater goers aren't paying attention to, you know, people don't think about sound effects that much when they're watching movies, but if they're bad, who it'll take you out of it very quickly. You know, a lot of, a lot of times the things that you notice at least are the most important parts of, of film and, one thing I know for sure is that audio is huge. You know, a movie can look gorgeous, but if it sounds bad, it's a bad movie. Not that this was a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's judgment time. Hey, judgment Reggie. time. Yeah, <laughs> we'll call it judgment time. <laughs> That's what I had in my head. Um, Reggie, what do you think? Should they have remade The Longest Yard? You know what? Because of the product that they presented us when it was all said and done, I would say yes. You know, it it did a good job, especially in your case, where now, because there was a remake, you went back and explored the first film. And the first film has a lot to offer and has a different tone. You know, it's a little, a little more serious. Um, there's still jokes in that first film, but this new film takes the exact same subject matter, puts a modern twist on it, and turns it into more of a comedy. I love the ensemble cast. I was very impressed that they were able to make a movie like the one they actually ended up making here. I'm glad they did it. So this movie was definitely worth making, in my opinion. Nice. When I finished watching the original film, I thought to myself, the remake really only has to do two things for me to like it. It has to do improved jokes and improve that football. And, of course, like I expected, it was able to do both of those things. So for me, yeah, I think a remake of this movie was absolutely a good thing to do. Um, like you said, I like the cast. The new ensemble, they play off each other really well. It's a lighter film. I think it plays better to what people expect from a sports comedy now. The other one, 
although it's still a sports comedy, it's not as comedic as I guess you would expect with modern sensibilities of what a sports comedy should be. It's a grittier film, and it definitely has a lot of things that I like, but I definitely also like the funnier tone of the remake, and it does not just that stuff better, but it also improved with the music, some better sound effects, and what do you have? You have Burt Reynolds in there. That's that's huge to me. Having the star of the former film in a huge role in the remake, he gets like he's giving the blessing that yeah, this is absolutely fine. You also got Ed Lauder in there from the original. This is a love letter to the original. It's trying its best to to honor the original, and it does for me. It worked. I mean, it could have been. It could have explored some different areas. It could have strayed from the script. It does say really safe i'd say it doesn't really it's not a great remake but it's definitely a good one so right. for me yes this absolutely works this 2005 remake yeah and i think what we're gonna find a lot of times with these remakes is that finding your own tone is huge you know you're never going to be able to sort of eclipse a movie that you're ultimately remaking people liked it that's why you're remaking it so finding a way to take that, modernize it, give it your own tone. So taking a film that, yeah, it was a comedy before, but like now it's really a comedy. Making that change makes this work because it stands alone. Even if you never saw the first film, you could watch this and say, oh, that was pretty funny. I, I enjoyed that. Like I said, it doesn't fall into the great remake territory. Um, th those are very rare, <laughs> very rare. But it, it does fall into, they did everything that they needed to do to make this a successful film. And, you know, like I said, ultimately I'm glad they did it. A lot of people that I like are in this movie. You know, uh, Joey Diaz uh, from... <laughs> yeah, we didn't even talk about him. I know, we didn't even get into, like, the Joey Diaz stuff. He he was great in this movie. And, you know, he, he talks about The Longest Yard in his podcast quite a bit. And, you know, a guy like that, this was a big opportunity for him. It was a big opportunity for a lot of people as they were trying to sort of launched their acting careers. So I'm, I'm glad that the film afforded them that chance. Yeah, I did think um, the most important part of a remake is to play for a modern audience. A lot of the stuff in the original might not carry over so well. We talked about the domestic violence thing. And, you know, it just, for the modern cinema sensibility, it, it definitely plays well. It hits all the beats that it needed to hit, and they did the right thing. Yeah. Cool. All right, another episode in the bag. Another episode in the um, bag. Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, t turns out we both liked The Longest Yard, which, which, good flick. I'm glad that they did the remake. Next episode, here's what I'm thinking, man. I went through your list. Maybe we should watch Psycho. Psycho. Ooh, is that Gus Van Zandt who did the remake? Was it a Van Zandt remake? Maybe. I think, because I... obviously you got Hitchcock. Directed by Gus Van Zant. Yes. Gus Van Zant. Nice. <laughs> so we got the Hitchcock remake versus the Gus Van Zant. I have not seen the remake, and I only saw the original once when I was very young. Yeah. But this will be an interesting one because I heard it's almost uh, like it, set frame by frame, like it's like a duplicate of the, uh, the original. Yeah, which we haven't we haven't gone into that territory yet. So I'm interested to see a film that is trying to do the exact same beats. Just with a different cast, so it, Vince I think, Vaughn. Oh boy, <laughs> Vince Vaughn. Yeah, in a rare, in a rare dramatic <laughs> turn, we're gonna. I guess I really haven't seen 
a lot of that uh, that new film. I've seen bits and pieces of it, and it's always jarring to me when I'm watching it. So I think watching it fully through will finally get me over the this one is in psycho hump that I've <laughs> I've had over the past couple of years. Now I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, so. it'll be a good one. So yeah, next episode, Psycho. Of course, Dan, if if we miss anything, I think the audience can reach out to you because I bet your email works better than mine. Or you could just, uh, my Twitter, at Dan, or no. Okay. My Twitter is at Console Wars, guys. So you can message me there. That's good. Awesome. And if for whatever reason you want to reach out to me, <laughs> I'm Reggie Parker at RP Comedy, rpcomedy.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Reggie. And I'm Dan. And this has been Retro Retro versus versus Remake. Remake.